So we've um, arrived at the last of our Beatitudes and the second to last session um, in this series. So next week will be the conclusion. And um, after that, we'll start to turn our attention towards Christmas, um, which is rapidly coming upon us. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really challenging season as we've been going through these and really a blessed season. And um, I think it's fitting that, especially after last week's drama, our evangelism, that we're um, looking at blessed are the persecuted. Any more drama this week, Mikey? Quiet. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> the God of peace. <laughs> Paul weren't there, you see, that's what it was. Amen. And so um, we'll be looking today at Blessed Are the Persecuted. And um, it's been, for me, a very refreshing journey through the Beatitudes. Um, the statements that we find in Matthew 5, um, where Jesus is talking about the blessings upon those who are his people, fundamentally. He's not giving a series of commands by which we can be blessed, but a series of indicators or qualities or characteristics that show that we are blessed. Because the blessing ultimately is being in relationship with God through Jesus. Anyone in that place is blessed already. I remember growing up in the faith, there, there came a point when, you know, you kind of get used to certain Christian vocabulary and you kind of take on certain Christian catchphrases. And so it would be normal for a Christian to say, God bless you, as you were part in company on the phone. God bless you. See you later. And then we got to the point where we was like, no, we're not just saying God bless you. We're saying stay blessed. <laughs> You're already blessed. And so that's what it was. Stay blessed. <laughs> and the believer in Christ is blessed. Amen. Amen. And yeah, as the Lord's been breaking down the Beatitudes, he's been identifying the, the hallmarks that signify, that indicate, those who are his. And so we looked at bankrupt but blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Now, I, for those of you who, were, who have been around, remember I did challenge you and encourage you to try and remember, to memorize these. And so if you haven't really made much headway with that, you still have a chance. We've got another week. Maybe next week what we'll do is we'll stand together as a congregation and recite them from memory. <laughs> Amen. And I'll wear the coat of rebuke for anyone who does. <laughs> anyone who can't do it. <laughs> Praise God. And we considered the reality of being poor in spirit is recognizing that we have nothing that we can bring to God by which we can impress him enough to favor us, to love us, to, to bestow blessing upon us. 
but that the blessing received from God is one that is granted graciously as a gift. It is an act of God's generosity. And then we considered blessed are those that mourn and the way in which physical mourning, the mourning of death, is uh, an indicator. It's a sign that points us towards the reality of spiritual death that anyone who comes to God must reconcile and wrestle with. That actually I recognize that I am spiritually dead because of sin and can only be made of life through Jesus Christ. He who was killed physically and yet raised to life in the power of God's Spirit. Therefore testifying of the hope we have, even though we mourn in the sin that we see in ourselves and around us, we're able to recognize there's hope in our mourning. And so we're able to say we're blessed because those that mourn shall be comforted. Amen. We considered the true character of meekness. Although some take it for weakness, it is such that actually it is a weakness of a sort. But first, before we recognize the weakness, we recognize that meekness is a, is a um, submitted strength. A strength that is submitted to the, the good pleasure of God. A strength that is not used overbearingly. And so it is an intentional making oneself vulnerable, making oneself um, less than in order that we might be pleasing to God and useful to others. And so blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Familiar phrase for us. Eat, drink, and be merry. The slogan of our generation in different ways. YOLO, it was a few years ago. Do it for the gram. Whatever it is now, I don't know. But Jesus said, yeah, there is an eating and a drinking to be partaken of. And that's the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just our own way, not just to be right, but that God's right, his righteousness would be manifest and displayed for all to see. And so blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, amen. Blessed are the merciful, those who are hungering after righteousness, recognize the need to be merciful, because people are unrighteous, including ourselves. And as we're looking for righteousness, we're going to very rapidly see unrighteousness. And it's going to make us, force us to have to learn to be merciful in the same way that God has been merciful to us. He who is forgiven much, loves much. And then we are able to forgive and not just forgive, but also to go on to give 
to those who are in need. Even in need because of their own fault. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart. As we come and are challenged to be merciful, our sincerity and our genuineness, the purity of our intentions and motives are tested. Often we can want to be generous for the sake of how it makes us look good. And so we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And yet when our hearts are after God, seeking his will, seeking his pleasure, seeking his glory, there is a purity there that governs our heart, that conditions our heart, because it's not defined by us, but by him. And so blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And last week we looked at blessed are the peacemakers. And it's, there's, there is a sense of continuity as we look at these um, beatitudes. There is a sense of succession because it takes somebody with genuine motives and a sincerity of heart to be someone who is going to be seeking peace. And often we think about that seeking peace, about seeking peace between two challenging rivals and us coming in between. But actually there's, a, there's another level of peace that we're to be seeking and that's seeking peace in those situations where we're being rivaled and we're being challenged. Would we seek peace in that situation when we feel wronged and violated? And so in that, and as with all of the Beatitudes, these are not just um, moral standards for us to keep because no one can truly do it apart from the work of God in our hearts. And yet, those who seek peace will go on to be those who are persecuted, which seems almost ironic in its nature. Nonetheless, blessed are the peacemakers, for they anyone, shall be called the sons of God. For they shall be called like father, like son, like father, like child. Because God is the great peacemaker who came to deliver peace, to grant peace, to establish peace, to make peace between us and him. And so, um, as we get ready to look at this today, let's pray and consider a peacemaker to be persecuted. Hmm. Sounds like an unlikely next step. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you are good and faithful, that you are true, and that, Lord, you are at work in our lives. We thank you for the fact that as we look to your word, we're able to have confidence. There are so many voices in this world, so many opinions, 
Um, Lord, there are so many statistics and studies. There are so many teachers with so many different angles and philosophies and ideologies. And there are many good things that we can glean in life, Lord. But Lord, we recognize that your word is the sure thing. And as we give our hearts and minds to just think about your word and what you are saying in your word and how that relates to us and what we do with that, Lord, I thank you that truly it becomes transformative as we embrace it. And we have that choice, Lord, to reject it or receive it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, you would give us ears to hear and that we would embrace that which you are saying, Lord, and that you would help us to not only hear it, but, Lord, that we would be doers of your word also. So we commit ourselves to you again this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yet again, this is another almost contradiction in terms. Blessed. And we considered the sense in which that means happy. Happy are the persecuted. Whenever have you been happy when someone has picked on you? You can think back to school days when you turned up to school in those trainers that you knew were, were, they were not in. So my days, we kind of just predated the whole kind of the, 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 the crep craze, the trainer um, trends. And so initially, you know, at primary school, you got away with wearing Dunlop green flash. And, you know, some of you were, wow, some of you went to hard primary schools. <laughs> well, I got away with wearing Dunlop green flash. Or um, not, not even high techs. No, no, no. You are too advanced. You have to understand this before the brand. Not even done it. Now listen. Hear, hear what I'm saying. If it weren't Dunlop Green Flash, you were wearing those kung fu slippers type. <laughs> what did they call them again? Plimsoles. They were just plain black with gum soles. You don't know about that. Listen. All the old heads are saying amen. This, I'm talking about, we predate, like, Gola was the first. You remember Gola? I remember when I got a pair of Gola football boots, I thought I was going to Wembley. <laughs> and then I remember getting to secondary school and very quickly realizing there was a hierarchy of status amongst footwear. And um, those days, that was when they kind of introduced Knight Cortez, or Nike Bruin, um, Adidas, Samba, Mamba, and Bamba. <laughs> you mean? Puma, Blue Jay, and Bluebird. With the, one with the white stripe and one with the yellow stripe. 
Who? Reebok. Mm, they were. They were. They were a little bit, little bit, little bit. They, 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 yeah. They came in, but they weren't really so. And so, you know, it, at that point, if you turned up in a pair of plimsolls or Dunlops, you would have got run out of town, scandalised. What are those? Ah. And it was never fun. Never fun. And so there are, there are times in our lives when we've experienced being picked on, as the phrase might be. We've experienced being um, bullied or persecuted. And how would we ever consider that to be a happy moment? Now, granted, there are some uh, among us who were just glad for the attention. And so even though you felt away, you, you felt quite um, significant in the moment that actually one of the older ones was taking a, paying attention to you. But it's, it's never a fun thing. But there is a sense in which that for us as believers, there is a blessedness. In fact, there is a joy. In fact, there is a reason to be glad to be... And that, that, that word doesn't even do it justice. To, to be rejoicing, to be ecstatic when we experience persecution. But not just any kind of persecution, not just because, you know, as an adult, you live in the wrong part of town and people look down on you, or you, you're not driving, you know, your car's beat up and noisy, mention no names. Or, and, you know, it's, it's not because... You know what it's like for some of us, we may be in our social circles known to be the, that certain person. So you might known, be known to be the, 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 the supporter of that team, the Man U supporter or the Arsenal supporter. Or, or historically, let's say, you might be known to be the, the person, you know, you don't really indulge in drink, but you're a raver. And they know that you're the raver. And if anybody wants to know what the motive is and where the rave's at, they're going to come and speak to you. Or, or maybe you as the person who, you know, your friends were all kind of um, bunking off, but you were the one that never bunked. And so you became known for being that certain person. And you may have been, at times, ridiculed for being that person. that begins to bring us a little closer to the reality of what it means to be persecuted in Christ. You see, we see clearly that first and foremost, persecution is something that will come to those who are in Christ and are recognized as being in Him. So look, Look at the, the qualifiers. Blessed are those who are persecuted, full stop. Is that what it says? No. Blessed are those who are persecuted, not just for any reason, not just because you're known to be that person, but for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
And so there is a sense in which persecution will come to those who believe. Now, the Jews had this concept that when somebody was experiencing hardship, it was because of sin. We see this in John chapter 9 with the man born blind. The Jews said to the Lord, who is it who sinned? Why is he born blind? I mean, he was born blind. What, what was the reason for that? That was surely an act of God, an act of judgment. Was it because of his sin? Or was it because of his parents' sin? You know, the whole notion of generation, generational curses. Yeah? That's what was being communicated there. Is this a curse come down from the family line? And Jesus said, neither. But it is that God's glory might be revealed. So they, they didn't have the concept that suffering... <laughs> yeah, there you go, that's to wake you up. That suffering could be for any other reason other than sin. And sometimes we feel like that in our lives. We feel like we go through hardship, it must mean that, you know what, there's, there's, there's sin. And as, as some would say, and, and this was a mentality that was common even in their day, you've broken the hedge. You heard that one? So, so why, why is there suffering? Why is the healing not happening? Why is their financial breakthrough not happening? Well, because they've broken the hedge. And what they mean is, quoting from Job, where Satan came to God and said, and, and God said to Job, have you considered my servant Job? Like, you want to flex, you want to show your power, you want to, you know, try and challenge me? You considered my servant Job. And Satan said, well, what's the point? Because you put a hedge around him, or you put a barrier around him, or you put a boundary around him, there's protection around him that you've placed that I can't intrude on. Remember, this is in Scripture, you know, and this is a truth for the believer. When you are under the blood of Christ, there is a barrier, there is a boundary, there is protection that you are under. You are under the covering of God's love and protection, under the shadow of his wings, as the psalmist said. Amen. And so they would say, oh, well, if you're having issues in your life, then it must be because you've broken the hedge. You've, you, you've broken the barrier with some kind of sinfulness. Now, when we go through issues, it's, it's important that we do examine ourselves because we are not without sin. And the Lord may use these things to straighten us out to get our attention. Pastor Rob and I used to have a song that we used to do called Desperation. And the, I can't even remember how the chorus, Desperation drove me to my knees. I cried, please, Lord, won't you help me? I know he heard my plea. Because when the way out, I just could not see. I cried, Lord, deliver me. And through his love, he lifted me. And the idea is that you find yourself at the end of yourself. You're at rock bottom, that you, you've got nothing left, but the only way to stand is to hit your knees. That's a good place to be. 
when we are looking squarely in the face of the Lord for hope, for strength, for help. Because we ought always to be looking in that place. But having said that, it doesn't mean that the hardship that we're facing and the suffering we're enduring is because of sin. Just like the man born blind, just like God offering Job to Satan, actually it may more likely be that, that God is using this to show off his glory, to show off his strength. When I consider the issues that we are going through and even have been through, and these seasons of intense trial, I recognize that, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a time for us to step back and be prayerful and considerate of who we are and, and how we're living and in what way might we be um, attracting attention in this way. But at the same time, let us be resolute that whatever the motive, and the reality is that we can't know that we... Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the hidden things are the Lord's. So there is a certain level at which we're not going to know exactly why, apart from we know that God will take opportunity for his glory. And so we're able to be resolute. And no less is true when as believers we experience persecution. When we're persecuted for righteousness sake, let us not think that it's because we're in sin or we've done something wrong. Or, but recognize that actually this has been ordained by God for his glory. Here's a scripture that the prosperity teachers won't teach you to memorize. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's, that, that's, that's, that word desire is, is that strong sense of determination. And you're determined to live godly in Christ, you will be persecuted. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. And so it begs the question, are you experiencing persecution in your life? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Because if we don't experience the challenge of what it means to be a Christian, then it begs the question, are we, one, really a Christian, and two, living faithfully as a Christian? Hello. Persecution. Oh, forgive me, I didn't qualify that. Thank you. Persecution by definition, hostility and ill treatment. It's not an exclusively Christian word. It can be used of people who are persecuted because of their race or color, their political convictions, as well as their religious beliefs. But it is some form of opposition and or oppression that is experienced because of your standing. And so when the scripture talks about being 
persecuted for righteousness sake or Jesus says on my account, there's a clear first thing that we, we, we understand that Jesus is saying, you have been recognized as being one of mine. You, you are known for being that Christian. Not just the team supporter or the car enthusiast or the cigar smoker or whatever, but you are known for being a Christian. And your identity is so wrapped up in mine that you are even suffering for my sake as a result. The Lord delights in that. The Lord takes pleasure in that. And the Lord blesses that. And the blessing is, is, is already there because fundamentally we are recognized as his. And other people can see it. What a blessing that is. There are often people who go around and make a living out of being a looky-likey. You heard that phrase? You haven't heard that phrase for a long time, right? <laughs> a looky-likey. And the idea of the looky-likey is that these people are paid to impersonate well-known individuals. So you have the, um, his, his royal, her royal highness, the queen, looky-likey, with the fake crown and the royal wave, and all of the different celebrities. And certain times, there are some people who have a certain resemblance to someone famous, and they may not be, in, be being paid to impersonate that someone, but because they know that they have this resemblance, they try and capitalize on it unscrupulously. And so, the George Clooney lookalike who tried to get free meals and free drinks when everybody thought he was George Clooney, people trying to get into clubs and VIP sections and so on and so on and so forth. There are certain benefits that they experience because they look like or are recognized to be someone. And that's how it is for us as believers. When our character, when our ways, when our convictions are so consistent with Christ, there is a blessing in that, even if we are persecuted for it. In fact, it's actually an honor to be persecuted for Christ's sake. This is what the Apostle Paul said. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, you can like read that. Was that a misprint? Maybe it should have said, to, to not only believe in him, but to escape any suffering. Not at all. We have a completely, we've, we've been robbed as the 21st century church. We've been robbed 
of what the church of old throughout the generations has held dear. And that is the sense of honor in suffering for Christ. Paul said later on in Philippians, that was taken from, for the record, Philippians 1.29. Later on in Philippians, Paul says, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we'd all say, Amen. Resurrection power in Jesus' name. Let's have it. And then what? We go quiet. Because, and the fellowship of his suffering. Silence, crickets. That's what it would be in our generation. In their generation, it's, yes! What an honor to suffer in Christ's name. Notice, it has been granted to you. You're like, Lord, that's one of them Christmas gifts I want to send back. I beg you, grant it to someone else. <laughs> but this is the reality. It is part of God's ordained purpose. And so to what extent are you experiencing hardship, ill treatment, ridicule, slander as a result of being a Christian? You see... Jesus made it clear that people will take your name in their mouth and they will talk you and they will talk about you. And even when they talk to you, they will talk to you in ways that are not appreciated, that are disrespectful, that are ridiculing. But that's okay, it's blessed. But it is blessed when it's on the basis of as it says here, false accusation on their part. People speak all kinds of evil against you falsely. We don't get any credit as Christians for being a pain in the neck and claiming it's persecution when people don't like it. We don't, there, there ain't no blessing in that. There ain't no, in fact, that, that, that dishonors the Lord. That discredits his name. When we can be so high-minded and so inconsiderate and self-righteous, look down our nose judgmental to the point where people can't stand us because our attitude stinks. That wouldn't be a false accusation if we were confronted with that, if we were disliked for those reasons. And yet we see here that actually it doesn't even have to be for those reasons that people would dislike us. People will call our good evil. Why? Because they find it convicting. They find it unsettling. They find it discomforting. So your boss says, look, uh, we're coming to the end of year accounts and I, I need you to put a few of these receipts through your um, expenses. And you're like, hmm. But I didn't generate these expenses. 
yeah, that's, it's all right, don't worry about it. It's, it's just that we're just reconciling some loose ends and we just need you to just process these receipts with your expenses and everything will be taken care of. And you're like, you feel uncomfortable and like, uh, I kind of feel uncomfortable about that, you know, boss, because it's going to be a misrepresentation of like the fact that I didn't actually spend that money and warrant those expenses to the, to the department. Why are you such a pain in the neck? Can't you just do what I've asked you to do? Well, you know, as a Christian, uh, I just, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I re- you know, I, I just can't do it. Sorry. Ah, you Christians, you're all the same. Think you're better than everyone else, holier than thou. And that's the kind of response. Now, it's not as if in that instance, you pointed the finger at your boss and said, you, you cheating liar. How could you do this and even ask me to do it? You know that God will judge you for what you're doing. You haven't even said that. You've just declared your conviction. You've just stated your position. And even in that situation, they speak evil of you. There's a contrast given in that example of the two different ways that we could actually handle it. Just for, the, just for the record. And so there are ways in which people will look at our good and cause it to be evil spoken of. They will speak down on it. That's all right. That's to be expected. Because... It shows that we are having a salty influence. Later on in the chapter, Jesus goes on to talk about us being salt and light. And the the nature of salt, especially in the first century, was that it was used as a preservative, as an antibacterial substance that would help to ward off decay and corruption in foods, etc. And so often what they would do is, when they had something they were trying to preserve, they would wrap it in salt and bury it in the soil to, to try and prolong the life of it. And so, in our saltiness, it will challenge other people's corruption, even without us having to point the finger. And yet, it's not just in a moral sense but even more so in a spiritual sense. When as Christians we stand on the word of God as the truth that we've embraced to be the first and final authority in all belief and behavior. And yet people want to challenge that and contest that as we saw in the the Ashes Bakers case where their convictions as Christians didn't permit them to bake a cake with uh, uh, the promotion of, of a homosexual union being um, put on the, written onto that cake. And they were dragged through the courts for, for I think it was over two years. They were dragged through the courts and ridiculed in the media 
simply because they chose to stand on their Christian convictions as according to the Word of God. We are Christians. We didn't write the Bible. It was given to us. And in that, when we stand on it, we're not standing merely on our own opinion. It's not merely our point of view. But this is the infallible word of God that has been passed on throughout the generations. And so in that, we will experience persecution. And what a blessing that is, nonetheless. Sometimes even in our efforts to make peace, we can be persecuted. I remember one time I was driving through Peckham and I saw a guy arguing with a girl and he was being really aggressive to her. And I pulled over. You're probably thinking that was a foolish thing to do. <laughs> but you know, when you're in certain situations, you just feel compelled, right? <clears throat> it was late at night and they were right opposite the bus garage, kind of right, there's a like little, little alley just right opposite the bus garage along by the shops, and they was right at the corner there. So I just, I stayed on the main road, and I, and I said to her, is everything all right? And she turned around and she looked at me, mind your own expletive, expletive business. And I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> I had to look around, I thought she was talking to someone else. Step in to make peace on behalf of someone who's vulnerable, and they don't want it. I mean, they're vulnerable nonetheless, but the reality is that people can often turn on us. And so even as peacemakers, we can find ourselves falling foul of being persecuted in our endeavor. I shared this at community group on Thursday. There was a, a monk in the fourth century um, after Christ. And his name was Telemachus. It's funny, I didn't know that was an actual person. I think I remember that being the name of some um, space module in space 1999. See, lost you all. <laughs> I used to love sci-fi programs. Space 99 was like the original Star Trek. Well, not the original Star Trek, but because it was the same, same, same generation, but a different version. But Telemachus was the name of an actual person, a monk. And he was a peacemaker who was persecuted for his efforts. So the story is said that Telemachus was in a certain place and felt compelled by God to go to Rome. And he rose and he said to those who were around him, I just feel a real compulsion to, to go to Rome. And there was no other clarity other than he needed to go to Rome. And when he arrived in the city of Rome, he saw people in the streets in their thousands celebrating and, you know, kind of like carnival. And he said to people, like, what's going on? Where are you going? And they said, oh, we're, we're going to the Colosseum to watch the gladiators. They're, they're going to fight to the death. And so this troubled him. And he thought to himself, you mean four centuries after Jesus, 
people are still treating each other in this way and still killing each other in this barbaric way after the truth of, of Christ has been so established. And so that day he went into the Colosseum and he, he saw 80,000 people filling the Colosseum there in Rome. And, and the gladiators, gladiators came out and set about their work to kill one another. And so Telemachus ran out into the, the middle of the Colosseum and he got between the two gladiators and he cried out, in the name of Christ, forbear, meaning stop. And the gladiators looked at him and the people started booing. And he cried out again, in the name of Christ, forbear. And then the people said, no, run him through, run him through. And so one of the gladiators took the back of his sword and beat him. And he fell to the ground. And then they set about again fighting. And he jumped up and he said again, in the name of Christ, forbear. And so one of the gladiators took his sword and pierced him through. Stabbed him and he fell to the ground. His blood was pouring out. All the people were cheering. And he cried out with his dying words. Yet again, in the name of Christ, forbear. And he died there. And a hush came across the whole of the Colosseum. Not a word from among the 80,000 people. And then the first person stood up and turned and walked out. And within a few minutes, every single one of the 80,000 spectators had gone. And it is said to this day that that was the last gladiatorial contest in the Colosseum in Rome. And so Telemachus was a peacemaker who bared the hallmarks of Christ. And like those who had gone before him, he suffered, even the ultimate. You know, it's, it's one thing to have people slander you and talk about you. It's another thing to be slaughtered. From the very beginning, we see that the righteous often pay with their lives. And so we look at Cain and Abel. What did Abel do to Cain? Abel didn't even do anything to Cain. And yet Cain, in his corrupt pride, turned and killed Abel. And the Bible says that the blood of Abel cries out and speaks. And so when it says, for so they persecuted the prophets, we have to recognize that from the very beginning, those who are righteous have suffered persecution. We recognize the, the slander that Moses was put under. We recognize the hardship that Jeremiah faced being thrown into a, a, a cesspit, literally. 
And yet we read of Isaiah, who it is said was sawn in half with a wooden saw. If it wasn't bad enough to be sawn in half with a wooden saw. And even as we enter into the New Testament, we see how the disciples themselves were persecuted. We read of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. You see, these are the credentials that the Apostle Paul is putting forward as one who is genuinely Christ and genuinely serving him. He's not, you know how many people I've preached to? How many people I've laid hands on and healed? How many people I've seen come to Christ? That's what we would hear today, right? How many congregations I've established? No. I've been in prison. I've been beaten, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger. We're blessed in the city. There's a danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Are you experiencing hardship for being a Christian? Are you one who seeks to avoid that, to escape the discomfort by not Allowing your identity to be recognized as in Christ. That you belong to him, that you are his, that you are for him because you know he is for you. Or are you one who actually, you're, you've, you've experienced a taste of this. Now we live in a quote unquote civilized country, right? And so we may say we don't see that kind of persecution here, that kind of fear of death persecution. There's no doubt that we experience social um, persecution, being socially ostracized or professional persecution. I remember speaking to a brother who was not granted a promotion in his, in his job because he was considered to not be of sound mind because he's a Christian. He's a weak-minded individual. And so he was passed over for promotion because it was almost seen as a mental health issue. But I want to say that 
The 20th century, as I mentioned last week, is, has been the bloodiest century in world history. More bloodshed, more deaths than any other century. And yet we see also that more Christians have been killed than all of the previous centuries put together in the 20th century. Persecution and the threat of death isn't just something of the past. There are people all over the world as we speak dying for their identity in Christ, for professing their faith and not being willing to negate, to, 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 to um, denounce or renounce their faith in Jesus. And even in this country and in many of the places that we're familiar with, some of you are familiar with Smithfield uh, in, in the city. In 1555, there was a man called John Rogers who was the prebendary of St. Paul's. He was burnt at the stake in Smithfield and became the, the proto or the, the, the first of the martyrs of that noble army of martyrs who suffered to the number of nearly 300 within the next four years who were burnt at the stake in this country. And there is testimony from among those martyrs of, of one who, as he stood there tied to the stake and they were about to light the flames, he turned to his fellow Christian and said, do not be discouraged, for tonight we dine with the king. The reality of heaven was so real that even in the face of a fiery death, he was encouraged and even able to comfort others. You see, for the Christian, in our persecution, we remember ours is the kingdom of heaven. If, all this, if this life is all that we see, this life is all that we have. We have to recognize that there is more to it than this. We're just passing through. My grand used to have a, say, a phrase among her many. She said, Ephraim? Because none of my family could ever pronounce my name right. Ephraim? It may be long, but it won't be forever. Speaking of the hardship and the challenging, challenges and the suffering, it might be long, but it won't be forever. It's a season. And the next season is an eternal one. It's an everlasting one. And it's filled with joy. And there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more death. And not, none whatsoever. And so let's not get too attached to this world. And let's not be too clinging on to the things of this world. Even our own reputation and our own identity, let's be willing to give it away and say, you know what, I've, I've, I deny myself and, I, and I've taken up my cross and I follow my saviour Jesus and I am fully recognised and identified and associated with him. Even if it means I experience persecution, for I know mine is the kingdom of heaven. 
And this is the hallmark of those in, of faith. And so, I challenge you as much as I encourage you today, and I invite the team to come back. Persecution. You know, the Bible doesn't say that we're to seek persecution. I remember um, sitting down on the um, urban ministry program and we were talking about this and I remember Duncan saying that and I thought to myself, huh? hold on, surely we're supposed to run to the battle, run to the fray and be ready to throw our lives on the line for Jesus. Persecution will come to us. We don't have to go looking for it. All we need be is faithful, just seeking the Lord, seeking his pleasure, seeking to do his will, seeking to have the courage of our convictions, even in the face of oppression and opposition. Sometimes that will mean us just standing our ground. Sometimes it will mean us speaking up against injustice. It's that willingness to stand up and be counted, whatever it means, without being obnoxious, without being rude and self-righteous. When you're persecuted, rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. We don't go to heaven because we're persecuted. We're persecuted because we're going to heaven. There's a difference. And I invite you to stand with me. Jesus was the one who was ultimately persecuted. See, we can speak about the prophets, and yet Jesus is the great prophet that Moses said would come after him. We can speak about the apostles and those of the early church who were persecuted. But Jesus is the foundation, chief cornerstone of the church. And Jesus doesn't call us to anything that he himself hasn't already endured and endured for us. And so let us embrace the honor of being persecuted for the name of our Savior, for the sake of our Lord. And if you've never experienced that, it might be because you've, you've chosen to live a, as a secret saint, one who, like many, have said, well, you know, my relationship with God is personal and that's just between me and him. And yet, that is so inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus and the reality of our calling as Christians. And so maybe the challenge is for us to trust God and repent of our self-exaltation, self-preservation, recognizing that Jesus gave his all. And for us to actually, in those moments, 
as the Lord gives grace and wisdom to speak up, to hold our ground, and maintain our convictions. Or maybe you've not actually submitted to Christ. Maybe church attendance has been your experience, but you've never been one who has surrendered to Christ. To the point where, as Jesus said in the call to discipleship, you are to deny yourself and to take up your cross. Meaning you recognize that Christ was crucified in your place and that your life is no longer your own. But the life that you now live is Christ who gave himself for you and lives in you. And that is the promise that if you will embrace, if you will admit and accept the fact that Christ died for you and you embrace that with all of your heart, putting your trust in Jesus, you will experience such joy and such peace and such satisfaction that you won't be able to keep it to yourself. Coming to church will just be like the appetizer. Being amongst God's people will be just the intro to the rest of your life, the rest of your week, living for the Lord and celebrating his salvation. So this is the challenge today. May we all consider ourselves and the great honor of what it is to suffer for Christ who suffered for us in our place, on our behalf. Father God, we thank you for sending your son that the son of God would become man and would be persecuted, that he would suffer barbaric insults. I mean, barbaric insults. How could anyone insult the sinless son of God? Does it even make sense? He who done no wrong at no time. We, we find it hard to comprehend that because we know what people are like, even at their best. And yet, Jesus, you done no wrong at no time whatsoever. And yet people insulted you, violated your character, called you a, a son of Satan. And all other kinds of words. And yet, Jesus, you endured that. That shame and that ridicule. And you've done it for us, Lord. And you went on, Lord, to endure the torture and the suffering and the beating and the murder. And you've done it for us, Lord. That we might have life and life more abundantly. So I ask that you help us, Lord. Help us to, to be that, that those, those, those stand-up individuals who are not just fair-weather friends, only in it for the blessings, only in it for the good times, but that we would be consistent and faithful. Help us, Lord, because we need the work of your Spirit in our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Join us next time 
For more of God's truth to transform your reality.